Welcome everyone. This is the Autolog Forum and it's August 17th, year 2006. Uh, we have our invited speaker, Dr. Jörg Schur from Germany and from Stanford uh, with us today. And uh, before we start, maybe we spend a little bit of time going around and uh, introduce each other. Uh, I'll, I'll go down the attendee list. I'll skip York for now because uh, Dr. Maximilian will introduce him later. Uh, and hello, my name is Peter Yim. I'm one of the co-conveners of the Ontolog Forum, and I welcome everyone. Uh, Bob Smith, uh, Tall Tree Labs, interested in ontology management, sparkling wine and sim talk. Steve Ray, um, work here at NIST, uh, leading a lot of work on ontologies and semantics in a division called the Manufacturing Systems Integration Division. Welcome, Steve. Marcel, are you still there? Yes, yeah, yeah, sorry, I was on mute just uh, now. Uh, I work at uh, the value in the Netherlands, and we are focusing on making ontologies use usable. So we do a lot of usability testing on ontologies, uh, which is also my responsibility. Thank you very much, all the way from the, the Netherlands. Uh, Jeff? Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Schiffel. I'm in Wichita. I work for the Boeing Company. Um, I'm interested in uh, all kinds of knowledge structures, uh, mostly in the area of requirements engineering and systems of systems engineering. Welcome, Jeff. Nanette? Yeah, hi, this is Nanette. Yeah, speak up, please. All right. Um, my name is Nana Divizic. I work here at NIST with Steve Ray. Interests are semantic uh, integration approaches uh, for supply chain and B2B systems and others. Welcome. Max? Hi, uh, Michael Maximilian from IBM Almaden Research Center and uh, interested especially in semantics with uh, respect to uh, web services. So I attended last session, but couldn't participate too much. Um, and also interested in collaboration, which I think uh, this talk today will kind of cover. Um, and, of course, interested in sparkling wine. Oh, fantastic. Tatiana? Uh, hi, Tatiana Maluta uh, from New York College of Technology. Uh, I'm actually a database person. That's how I usually introduce myself. I'm a data modeler. And I have very limited experience with anthologies, and I'm trying to agree sending of anthologies with my understanding of data. But, but Tatiana actually uh, roused the, the, the greatest of, of yes. responses on, on, on database and ontologies just the last couple of days. It overwhelmed everyone. Yes, and, and I'm planning to respond and just... Uh, I didn't expect that many responses, and I'm trying to systemize them and respond with some list of issues I see as a data person. Fantastic. Evan? Thank you. Evan Wallace from NIST. I also work for Steve. Um, and I'm interested in knowledge representation uh, languages and tools applied to modeling and uh, information integration. Thank you, Evan. Uh, Paul? 
Paul Cook with the uh, U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, I'm responsible for a knowledge base of environmental models, and I'm looking for uh, new tools and approaches uh, to enhance its usability. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Patrick? Patrick DeRusso. I uh, work for Snowfall Software, and I'm interested in semantic integration. Thank you. Uh, Kathy? Uh, Kathy Ellis, uh, I work with uh, taxonomies and thesauri and glossaries, and now I'm trying to get an idea of, of how the, the ontologies are going to fit into what we're doing. Pat, Pat Heinegan. Oh, hi. Uh, Duck, Duck Holmes. Duck, uh, you might be on mute. What about now? Can you hear me? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, I'm Doug Holmes from Java Professionals. I'm uh, <coughs> Right now I'm interested in uh, knowledge-based applications to, to aerospace engineering. Thank you, Doug. Okay. Uh, Pat Heinig? Hi, Peter. I'm Pat Heinig. I'm with Project Performance Corporation. Um, I'm um, ex-federal uh, employee, and um, I have an interest in many, many different semantic technology and ontology topics, and I'm also part of Bob Smith Taxothesaurus team. I think, Bob, are you on today? Yes, Come on. yes. All right, Pat. Okay. Good Thanks very much. Soon. Thanks, Pat. Uh, we missed the, at least a couple of people, uh, so if your name, you have not introduced yourself, could you uh, do that now? We must have missed a couple of people. Actually got everyone. <coughs> That's good. So let's get rolling. And before we do that, uh, there, there, there's one person I really have to thank. Uh, of course, York too. But uh, that's uh, Michael Maximilian, who introduced uh, York to myself and to all of us. So uh, we have the pleasure of having Max uh, introduce our speaker today. Max. Yeah, thank you, Peter. And actually, yeah, I'll do the same and, and thank the person who introduced York to me and couldn't be here today and really should be the one, uh, you know, talking on, on my behalf here is uh, Dr. Alex Boozer from uh, IBM Alden Research Center, a colleague here. Uh, and uh, he invited York to uh, come to the lab and, and, and give a talk, and I think it was well received and... Uh, really covers uh, a lot of what, um, you know, some of the things that we're trying to do here with semantics. Uh, however, I think this talk, of course, I don't know what it's going to be about, but uh, certainly the title seems to be um, very much uh, interesting and to the extent of what, um, you know, some of what he talked about here at Almaden. So I'll be very brief and, and, and tell you uh, a little bit about York from what I've, when I met with him and also with talking to Alex. Uh, I think he he's from the University of of Kowush, Kowu, um, in uh, Kowu. <laughs> sorry, I, I knew I was gonna mispronounce. <laughs> it's okay. difficult to pronounce. Yes, yes. Uh, I have an idea of what it means, though. It's the it's where Kowus was buried, and Kowus was one of the uh, I guess the um, kings in in Germany at one time. So I know that much. Um, and it's in the south, south part of, of uh, Germany, uh, located pretty much, uh, uh, you know, in the more engineering 
uh, sides uh, where a lot of the great cars, like uh, the Porsches, are built. Uh, he's an assistant professor there. Uh, he's published widely. I mean, if you go to his website, you'll see huge amount of work uh, already. And he uh, got his PhD in 2003. Uh, he has a lot of activities going on, which is incredible to me. Um, you know, he's the project leader in many different uh, 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 different activities, uh, projects related to semantic word and uh, web, and in particular, a new funded project, SEKT. I'm not sure what it stands for, but um, it's uh, related to knowledge web. And also, he's been chair of many different uh, conferences, including the recent uh, Semantic Web Conference. Uh, web conference. And also, closer to, ID, to IBM, he's the receiver uh, of uh, the IBM Urema Innovation Award in 2006. And as you know, we had a previous session with uh, Dr. David Ferrucci, uh, and we think here at IBM that Urema is a very important technology to make semantics real. And, and York and his team, uh, Dr. Shore and his team, uh, are the receiver of this year's UEMA Innovation Award. So we're looking forward to see uh, what comes out of that. So with this, I give you uh, Dr. York Shore. Thank you, Max, for this kind introduction. Um, so, Peter, could you put the slides on the desktop? Currently, I see agenda and proceedings. Peter? Oh, sorry. Uh, I was on mute myself. So uh, the, the slides are up on the shared screen. And for those who have trouble with the VNC service, uh, you can download the slides uh, somewhere, uh, like two-thirds down the page where it says Dr. Hughes uh, prepared the slides. Okay. Can you, can you all see the slides on the shared screen? No. So currently I see the Ontolog wiki. There's a nice picture of me. <laughs> right. Are you still, you still on that one? That's what we see. Yeah. But maybe if everybody has the PDF available, I just say click whenever we proceed to the next page. That's maybe the easiest one. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, it may also help to mention the slide number every so often for those of us who have the PDF. Right. So okay, let's do it like this yeah, way. Let, let, let's load the slides uh, on the desktop and we'll, we'll proceed as uh, York process. Okay, so thank you all for participating in my online talk. This is my first online talk and it's kind of a nice experience. Uh, the title, What Does Sparkling Wine Have to Do With Semantics? Well, we come to that in a minute. First of all, I would like to say a few words uh, where do you come from? So currently I'm sitting at the Stanford Medical Informatics at Stanford University um, and Professor Mark Musen is hosting me and I'm actually visiting his protege team and you might be familiar with uh, the protege tool which is basically the most well-known ontology editor around there and recently they announced that they have over 50,000 registered users worldwide which is quite impressive I think. So where do I come from? Please make a click to the next page. Um, well, it's called Karlsruhe, and some people like to call it semantic Karlsruhe. Um, so what you see on the picture on the slide is the castle in Karlsruhe, and this is all actually related to the story which Max already briefly mentioned. 
and that was that King Carl, he had a rest in, a, in the woods, somewhere in the woods, and he had this vision that he would build his castle exactly on this place, and that's what he did. So what you see there is the realization of his dream, actually. So it's a very nice place, but why do we call it Semantic Karlsruhe? And please make a click to the next slide, which is slide three now. It's actually a location for semantic technologies and applications, and we have three different uh, institutions who work in this area. Uh, we are, so where I'm coming from is the Institute AISB, which stands for Applied Informatics and Formal Description Methods, and it's an institute of the University of Karlsruhe. What we are doing is basic research and application-oriented research, and basically our focus is on topics like semantic web infrastructure, ontology management, but also to combine ontologies and, and semantic web infrastructure to other topics, such as data and text mining, peer-to-peer -peer semantic, web, semantic web services, and that was also one of the connections to IBM, uh, where we have this contact to the service area. Um, we do try to transform our basic research into, well, applications, real-world applications, and into products, and that's why we have two further institutions. So one is called the FZI, which is the Research Center for uh, Informatics, which is also located in Karlsruhe, and this is an institute attached to the university. So there, uh, a number of professors also have groups who really do this research transfer into industrial practice. Uh, and Professor Studer, who is uh, our boss at the university, is also involved in the FZI in a quite senior position, and we have a group there. So this is dedicated towards making semantic web real and prototypes for industrial applications. And five years ago, uh, there was a, a spin-off from our institute, which is called Enterprise. They are also located in Karlsruhe, and they are really commercializing products. Um, and one of their most well-known products is OntoBroker, which is a reasoning engine. Um, and they have some kind of product suite around this reasoning engine. If you look at the people, how many people are we? Well, at the Institute AFB, we have around 20 PhDs and postdocs who are working in the area of semantic web. At the FZI, we have a group of about eight people, but we are currently hiring a lot of people uh, since we are looking forward to getting new projects funded. So this group will grow significantly in the near future. And at Enterprise, we have currently about 40 people working in the product development. Please make a click to the next slide, which is then slide four. At the Institute ASB at the University of Karlsruhe, we do education for industrial engineers. So our institute is an institute of computer science, but located within the Faculty of Business Administration. But there's also the Faculty of Computer Science in Karlsruhe, which is quite well known. It's um, actually informatic and in, computer science in Karlsruhe in general always receives, receives best marks in the rankings in Germany. So it's really a top-ranked place for computer science. And we do the grad-level education with courses like Intelligent Systems in the World Wide Web or Semantic Web, Knowledge Management, Knowledge Discovery, and Text Mining, and also have seminar courses like knowledge portals, semantic web services, and semantic risk. So we really do basic education, like introduction to computer science, but also specialized courses towards semantic web and related areas. Please make a click to slide five. Now back to the title, Sparkling Wine and Semantics. What does that have to do uh, with each other? If you look at Wikipedia, which is a common way of finding out what things are today, 
you will find for sex this entry. Uh, so it's sex from Wikipedia. Sex is the German term for sparkling wine. That would have been my introduction without having animation. Uh, you see already what the second thing is. So sex really stands for German sparkling wine. That is one of the connections. It's the German translation of sparkling wine. But in the EU-funded research project SECT, so it's the same name, our coordinator, which comes from Britain, actually thought it's a nice acronym for having a project on semantic knowledge technology. So that is what it stands for. And there's already a, a short entry in Wikipedia to disambiguate what that means for different people. So today we are not talking about the sparkling wine, uh, but maybe if we meet somewhere at a conference we can drink a glass of sparkling wine together but rather talk about the EU-funded project that So please make a click to slide six. And this is one of the projects we are currently running at Karlsruhe, or we are participating at a partner from Karlsruhe. It started in the year 2004, as you can see. It's a three-year project, so right now we are in the final stage of the project. And actually that's one of the reasons why I'm only staying uh, over the summer at Stanford. I surely would have preferred to stay here much longer. But since the final review is upcoming, uh, I have to return to Germany pre to prepare everything for the final review. So we have a lot of work to present um, from what we have done during the past two and a half years. And I can only highlight some of the work which we did there in this presentation. Uh, this is closely connected to what is called Knowledge Web. Max already mentioned it. This is a network of excellence. So it's a kind of different thing from what ZECT is. ZECT is a so-called integrated project, which is one of these big EU-funded projects. And KnowledgeWeb accompanies some of these integrated projects in the area of semantic web by combining a lot of different partners in Europe. And the key issue really is networking, although also basic research is performed within this network. But the key issue really is networking. So you see that there are 18 European partners, uh, and we have funded over four years, so we have one more year to go in this knowledge level. There's an, another project which started uh, in parallel to sector knowledge web, and this is called DIP, Data Information and Process Integration. So this really is about semantic web services, and some of the work um, I will present today was performed jointly together with DIP, and I will make, uh, I will have this logo on the slide so you see where we really try to collaborate with, between these projects. And two upcoming projects, um, are Xmedia and Neon, so they just started in March 2006, and they are actually the last project in what is called the Sixth Frame Program of the European Commission. The European Commission funds in, let's call it WAVES, uh, which they call Frame Programs, and Frame Program 6 hosted Zegdip Knowledge Web and also Xmedia and Neon, and upcoming is the Frame Program 7, which will maybe start late 2007. Uh, but these projects carry us over uh, to the new frame program and to some extent they are a continuation of our work and especially NEON is a continuation of the work which it, we did in fact. Please make a click to slide 7. So the agenda for this talk is to give a fact project overview um, but I will only quickly highlight what, the, what are the main goals of SEC and then present concrete work so you have some tangible things which you see um, so you can see the results of the project. I will talk about methodology because one of our work packages is a methodology for ontology engineering. Um, I will talk about technologies. I will highlight uh, some very prominent 
and some very useful technology which, which is also available for you. So in case you're interested to reuse it, I also provide links. And finally, conclude by summarizing the key results. Make a click to slide eight, please. A quick overview on SECT. Uh, so SECT really stands for Semantically Enabled Knowledge Technologies. So that is where the acronym comes from. It is funded in the action line, um, I think it was Ambient Intelligence, but the key area is Information Society Technologies, IST. Uh, that is an area in the European Commission which covers all kinds of information uh, technology-related topics. And actually, if you look at Frame Program 7, it seems that uh, the budget is uh, at, at least stable and maybe even increasing for our topics, so we are really looking forward to continue our work. We have industrial and academic partners. Our coordinator is British Telecom. It's John Davis at the BT Labs, uh, who is really coordinating very nicely our project. The main, the main uh, other industrial partner is Empolis, who is a kind of integration partner. It's a German-based company for knowledge management solution, solutions. And apart from exploitation, they also provide the technical infrastructure to integrate all the uh, kind of advanced technologies that we are producing in the research area. And we have further tech industrial partners such as Enterprise, ISOCO, Cirma AI, and CarePro, who are kind of minor industrial partners with specialized task, tasks. In the academic field, we have three strong academic partners. Um, so we are actually the technical coordinator at the University of Karlsruhe, and our specialty, of course, is ontology management and semantic web technologies. Uh, we are accompanied by the University of Sheffield, that's the Gates team from Hamish Cunningham, and they're really specialized in natural language processing. And we have the JSI Institute at Ljubljana, that's Marco Grobelnik and his team, and they are very strong on text mining, they actually data mining and text mining, and that shows the core idea of the project. It's about combining ontologies with natural language processing and with data and text mining and see where the synergies are and to explore the boundaries. We have further academic partners, which is University of Amsterdam, that's Frank van Hamelin's group. Uh, we have the University of Innsbruck, that's the team of Dieter Fendel, and we have the University of Barcelona, um, which is specialized in the legal area and is closely collaborating in one of our case studies, that's Pompeo Casanova. Please make a click to slide nine. The main goals of that. Well, when we wrote the proposal, the idea was really to bring together key partners from the areas and to provide a kind of European leadership in semantic technologies to show what are new applications and new technologies which can be realized with semantic tech web technologies. The re core research goal is to combine, as I said, human language technologies, knowledge discovery, and ontology technologies, and to, to show on the research level where these things fit together and how these things fit together, but also on the application level, how this really could provide benefit to end users. And we have three case studies. I should have mentioned this more explicitly on the slides. Uh, one case study is performed at Siemens, which is a kind of external partner who is collaborating with Empolis. Um, there we provide a support for consultants. The second case study is done at Rich Telecom, where we support the digital library. So they have an internal digital library which consists out of millions of documents, and the idea is to provide a better knowledge access to these documents. And in Barcelona, we have a case study on decision support for legal professionals. That is a kind of really interesting case study where 
young judges should be supported in making decisions uh, based on legal knowledge. And the, the nice thing there is that actually you see that there are three different languages which they have to use and which they have to apply. One is the formal legal language used in, in jurisdiction law. So actually the laws are written in their own special formal language. Then they have the language of their client, their customer, which is just ordinary language. And clients use this ordinary language to describe their problems. And they have their own language, which is a, which is a kind of mediator between the problems in the real world and the laws which exist. And what we try to apply there is a kind of ontology mapping to really bridge gaps between these worlds and to come up with a decision support to suggest which law to apply for which case. So that's a kind of very interesting case study. The University of Karlsruhe is mainly involved in two work packages. One is about ontology management, providing an infrastructure for, for ontology management with a special focus on the evolution of ontologies. So there the idea really is that ontologies are not static entities, but for all real applications you need to really need to think about how to evolve these ontologies and also the methodological part to provide guidelines, to provide a process model and to make these technology usable for real users. So this, these are the two main work packages and I will cover certain aspects of both of them. Please make a click to slide 10. So I will start now with the methodology bubbles, let's call it, let's call it bubbles, since we have a sparkling wine uh, explanation for that as well. Um, what we provided was a comprehensive methodology which we call diligent, and diligent covers many areas, and in this talk I will quickly highlight also the argumentation support and give you pointers if you're interested to further literature to see what else is in diligent. Please make a click to slide else, uh, 11. If you look at existing ontology engineering methodologies, then they are mostly concerned with building ontologies from scratch. You have a fairly understood process and life cycle model, which is usual manu usually manual. Um, if you look out, there's things like Meth Ontology from UPM in Madrid. There's the 101 Ontology Development Guide from the Stanford Medical Informatics people, from Natasha Noy, but also from the KSL people from Deborah McGuinness. And there's um, this, this new methodology, Diligent, which tries to overcome some of the boundaries from there. Um, usually you have a diversified team which is working together to build ontologies, which is domain experts and ontology experts. Uh, and of course, one of the challenges is how to, uh, to support the collaboration of these two parties. From the very early projects uh, where ontologies were used, maybe 10, 10 years ago to now, um, there's a shift in direction, of course implied by what is called semantic web and applying ontologies to semantic web, but also due to the nature of the projects, which are becoming bigger and bigger. So initially you often had projects where one or two people worked on creating one ontology and that was more about it, but nowadays you often have teams who really need to collaborate to uh, create ontologies and the environment is a different one. What is different? So first of all, we have a high distribution. Semantic web, well, it comes from web, so inherently you have distribution. Um, but also the people are distributed. They not necessarily meet often or easily. Often they are distributed all over the world. Uh, so for example, people working on the gene ontology, they come from all different locations and somehow collaborate and come up with this gene ontology. And that holds also for other ontologies, well-known ontologies. 
Um, what we often see in our project is that people want to have a kind of partial autonomy. So they want to do local changes without having this, um, having a global impact immediately. So they want to have some kind of personalized local view on certain areas of the ontology. But if you look at methodologies as well as tools, then this not, is not really supported right now. And also, um, on the methodology so far, usually have this kind of notion that it's a one-time shot. So you create this ontology and then it's there. But this, of course, is not true in reality. Uh, actually, what you see is that you need many iterations even to create the first draft of the ontology. And then for evolution of ontologies, this is certainly an iterative approach which needs attention. Please make a click to slide 12. We tried to categorize this. Uh, to, to give a picture of where research was at the beginning of SECT and how we advanced it. So you see three dimensions. You see from centralized to distributed. You see from static to highly dynamic. You see from controlled to not controlled. These are the three dimensions. And what is really meant is centralized versus distributed development. Um, you have static versus highly dynamic environments. This includes the collaboration, but this includes also uh, the applications where ontologies are used. Just think about using ontologies for peer-to-peer -peer networks, which was one of the um, seminal routes for the diligent method methodology. So we really started in a project which was called SWAP, SWAP Semantic Web and Peer-to-Peer, -peer, and then continued this work in the SEC project because we found that this is very useful also for other knowledge management applications. And you have controlled versus non-controlled, basically saying that uh, as soon as you start involving more and more people in ontology engineering, you're not in full control of what they are modeling the whole time. So you have to provide means for dealing with this uncontrolled evolution of ontology. And the existing methodologies more or less dealt with a controlled static and centralized setting, and our aim for diligent uh, was to advance this. But really, if you talk about semantic web and using ontologies for the semantic web, then still you would need an additional step from diligent towards completely distributed, completely uncontrolled, and highly dynamic. So we are somewhere in between with diligent. Please make a click to slide 13. What is diligent standing for? The acronym stands for Distributed, Loosely Controlled, Evolving Engineering of Ontologies. So that is really what we were focusing on, uh, what was motivated by the slide previously. The methodology includes various parts. Uh, first of all, a detailed process model where we identify actors and their responsibilities within an ontology engineering process. Uh, we provide a kind of guidelines um, which include which kinds of actions to take when, what are the decisions to be made, and how to structure discussions about ontologies. And this relates to the second point. We provide an argumentation support for such discussions because this we see as one of the crucial actions uh, for engineering ontologies on the manual side, but also on the automatic side. So even for ontology learning, which is this automatic approach for generation of ontologies automatically, maybe from text, uh, you need a kind of support for discussions between different partners. So this could be among domain experts or among domain experts and ontology engineers or among ontology engineers. And if you think about this automated learning scenario, you could also think of uh, having discussion between agents who provide suggestions, maybe for new concepts to be added, and ontology engineers who then in an iterative cycle maybe evaluate these suggestions and make inclusions in the ontology. When you go to customers, um, 
then one of the first questions is, well, what does it cost to to engineer such an ontology? And that is a quite crucial question. Uh, very often people just made some kind of estimation or hide the cost somewhere in the technology cost. Uh, but actually, if you start doing this on an industrial level, then it's a good idea to have some concrete ideas of how cost estimation works for ontologies. Uh, that was one of the one of the aspects I covered actually at the talk at IBM, but also at the recent Protégé conference. So if you're interested in more details, uh, you could, for example, look at the slides on the Protégé conference. They're available online. Or you could just contact me and I'll provide you a link to this because today we will focus on the process model and the argumentation support. Please make a click to slide 14. The diligent process, um, and please excuse that we don't have the animations now on the PDF, uh, it consists of several stages, and we identified five major steps. So what you see with these small persons, these are actually the, actor, the actors, um, and in the very first phase, which is the build phase, you have ontology users, domain experts, uh, collaborating with ontology engineers and knowledge engineers to come up with the first draft, which we called uh, call OI of the ontology. So this is a kind of skeleton for the ontology and should cover the basic notions. Um, and I can only go quickly through this and cannot explain really uh, the notions of all the different actors, but it's kind of intuitive by the names. Um, so what happens then is that you have step two, a so-called local adaptation. So actually, in reality, you often have many different ontology users who use applications or who use an ontology for different applications, and they want to have their personal view and personal extensions. So maybe ontology user 1 extends in a different way than ontology user n, which is, of course, a valid approach for them locally. But then to decide which of these changes is also of interest for the general ontology, um, you need some kind of control mechanism. And that is why you have uh, what we call a control board editor, uh, which could consist out of users, but also engineers and knowledge engineers, depending on the kind of scenario, who analyze uh, the proposed changes, the proposed local changes, and suggest which one, which one of these changes to include in the general ontology, which would then be called a revision phase, and finally um, a local update of the ontology, but more or less it's a global update, you could also, also call it. Um, steps two, three, four, and five uh, show the cycle, which is then performed to evolve ontologies in a generic manner. So the, this process model is very generic, so it only should cover uh, so it only should give um, a rough picture of how ontology engineering is done in distributed settings. And of course, in the next step, what we did was to refine this and to explain very detailed what to do in each step. So this picture should just give you a rough outline who is involved and what is the, the general idea of diligence, actually. So if you go to slide uh, 15, you see... Uh, the next level of granularity, and there are more levels of granularity, but this is the level where I will stop for this presentation. Uh, you, you will find the five steps, build, local adaptation, analysis, revision, and local update in the middle. So these are the core steps. Uh, you see the circle to indicate the iterative nature, nature for the steps, local adaptation, analysis, revision, and local update. And to give you an idea of what this picture is about, from bottom to top, so at the bottom you see uh, the core steps to be performed in each step. So in the build phase, we have step one, a small group builds initial shared ontology according to established methodologies. 
And this is still quite generic, so in the next level of granularity you would find a concrete uh, outline of which step is to perform first and next and so on. So for example, gathering in a brainstorming session the most relevant concepts, ordering them in a taxonomy, adding relations, adding attributes, adding instances would be the next level of iteration, uh, of, of granularity. Then what you see on top is the results. So the result of the first build phase would be an initial shared ontology, and then you would have to make a decision, that is the top node, whether this initial shared ontology is sufficient as an initial shared ontology. And if, if you answer this with yes, okay, it's sufficient, then you would go to the next phase, local adaptation, where you would have the steps understand the shared ontology, identify communalities, and so on. You would have, as a result, a locally changed ontology or multiple locally changed ontologies, and you would have arguments. So in this local adaptation phase, uh, you would start to collect arguments to further evolve the ontology and then make a decision whether the shared ontology fits and you can proceed through the picture to see what happens in each step. So this is the, the core idea of diligent on a more fine-grained level and if you read documentations, we provide this really to a very fine-grained level um, to support ontology engineers. Please make a click to the next slide, which would be then slide 16. Are you taking questions? Yes, of course, sure. Um, this is Steve Ray. I just have one qu question. When you on your previous slide, it talked about whether the shared ontology fits. Uh, is okay. that to imply that all of these different ontologies are ex expected to be consistent with one another? Okay, that's a very good question. Thank you. Uh, what we not tackle here so far explicitly is evaluation of ontologies, which is a very important topic and which was the second topic I presented at IBM. Um, and this is a kind of um, action which is performed very often, actually. If you look at the ontology engineering process, then ontology evaluation is usually a continuous process. And at different stages, you have to perform different evaluation notions. And one of the notions is consistency. But consistency depends on which kind of formalism you use for ontology. So if you're using OWL, DL ontologies, then you have this notion of um, description logic consistency, which holds for these ontologies. If you are using a frame paradigm to explicitly model your ontology, then there is a different notion uh, of consistency. So yes, you should take care about consistency, but the question is whether you talk about global consistency or local consistency, and what kind of knowledge representation formalism you use um, to check really whether an ontology is consistent and whether it is globally consistent. So these, these are the issues which are somewhere hidden on a more fine-grained level. So it is important, yes, but not really explicit on this level of granularity. Okay, thank you. Sufficiently? Okay. So if we go on to slide 16, that's the slide following an ontology engineering discussion. So what we found out in many projects is that people like in early stages of ontology engineering just to discuss via email because this is a very common tool for discussing all sorts of uh, things and also to discuss ontology engineering uh, decisions. So what you see is a concrete email out of our uh, project, out of the SEC project, where we discussed a modeling issue. And the idea was to somehow structure these discussions in the email uh, discussions, but also to come up with a more sophisticated tool support which captures this and makes it traceable uh, for, for later stages. Uh, so if you click to the next slide, you will see a snippet out of this email, um, which says number four, uh, G 
POT, that's a special ontology namespace, the subregion of is uh, our transitive property. In our example on page 21, you say that Diego Garcia is a military base located in the Indian Ocean and that blah, 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 and so forth. So we came to the conclusion Diego Garcia is a subregion of USA, but then having a, some kind of modeling decision, you would see also that USA is a subregion of North America. So what you see here is what the point here to make is you have a discussion about ontologies and this we would like to capture. Because what happened here was in the discussion people said, well, what you modeled is wrong. Of course, Diego Garcia is a military base which is owned by the US, but it is actually located in the Indian Ocean, which is British Indian Ocean territory, so it's not even part of the US and certainly not part of North America. Uh, but then the other, the answer in these ontology engineering discussions was from another uh, domain expert, yes, that's true. So if you would look at it on a very detailed level, you would have to model it in another way. But in our context, so for our application, so for the envisaged usage of our ontology, this is sufficient. Just to say that Diego Garcia is a part of uh, USA, and then you could transitively uh, deduce that it is also a subregion of North America because subregion of could be a transitive property. So if you introduce this uh, transitive property, you would have this modeling issue. But for the purpose of this application, where we were talking about, this might be just sufficient. So sure. take the effort to model it more fine-grainedly. Yes. And so now the context is, has also become part of the ontology. Okay, that's an, another interesting question. So context is something we did not cover very well, in fact. But of course, if you talk about this, you talk about context. Um, we did not formalize context in fact so far. This is something we are currently doing in the NEON project to provide a formal notion of context to really capture this also within ontologies. And our workaround here was to provide argumentation support, but that's a little bit outside of the reasoning formalism. Uh, so if you talk about context, as I understand it, it's usually a, a notion of formal context within ontologies to provide additional uh, information. This could be versioning information. This could be all kinds of uh, contextual information. And you could include also this. Uh, but in fact, we were not yet so far. And our approach was to, the, to provide this argumentation support. And I will show on the next slide how this works with the argumentation support. Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, this was Marcel. Uh, thank you, Marcel. Uh, uh, would anyone uh, please identify himself or herself uh, before? I'm, I'm sorry, Peter. Yes, I will do that. Uh, please continue, York. Okay, so the key point is uh, whatever decision is made here as a modeling decision, um, one should be aware of when looking later at the ontology and when later trying to understand why it is modeled in a certain way. Because if you don't have this uh, this discussion in, in your mind, maybe because you are a new hired member in the ontology engineering team, then you may, might not be aware of this discussion. And then you think, well, this is wrong. I should change this. Uh, but if you have some kind of um, traceability for this discussion, then also in later stages you would understand why maybe Diego Garcia is modeled as a military base and even though subregion of is a transitive property and this allows for reasoning that Diego Garcia is a subregion of North America, this is okay for this application. Okay, so this is, this is the key point here. Next slide, slide 18. So what are requirements for such argumentation support? 
Uh, first of all, we want to use a common vocabulary, and if you look around at related work, we found that there's this issue-based information system, some of you might be aware of that, and there's this compendium methodology and also tools for sharing ideas and creating artifacts. So EBIS and compendium really uh, think about this notion of having a conceptual idea, sharing this idea with other people, and then iteratively come to a more... Uh, more formal artifact, what they call it. Um, what you would capture, would like to capture in these discussions are relevant arguments. Uh, we looked at the rhetorical structure theory, abbreviated RFP, and there you will find, I think, over 30 different arguments. Uh, these arguments could be examples, counterexamples, or justifications. So you make an example that Diego Garcia is the subregion of North America if you introduce this transitive property. And then you say, well, this doesn't work. So actually, it's a counterexample for introducing this. Um, but we found out in experiments that 30 arguments is far too much for our ontology discussions, and we reduced it to five to seven of these arguments, which we really need to keep track of. Uh, you have to think about the ontology focus. So as I mentioned before, of course, the formalization is important, which kind of knowledge representation you use. But most people, and especially domain experts, uh, they think on a conceptual level, and they do not really, often they do not really care about which non-representation formalism is used in a later stage, but of course this has implications then. But this is typically a decision which the ontology engineer uh, has to take, uh, or at least to provide decision support for uh, domain experts to make an informed decision of which kind of KR uh, support is needed. But with this argumentation support, we are clearly on the conceptual level uh, and not on the formalization level. Um, I talked earlier about ontology learning, about automated provision of maybe concepts and relations, but also uh, we try to optimize these provision of arguments. So we try to come up with evidence that a certain uh, notion should be introduced, and this is actually where, uh, where the NLP and the data and text mining comes into play and where we can make uh, use of that. But this would be a different talk, <laughs> a separate talk. Um, and Finally, we want to support the entire argumentation. So we not only capture the arguments themselves, but also which decision has been made at the end. So why is Diego Garcia now a subregion of North America and a kind of position, so who was in favor of and who was against this to maybe support in later stages a kind of trust. So trust, as you know, is also a kind of hot topic, but in this project that was a little bit beyond the scope. But what we wanted to do is to provide a, some kind of baseline to later on add some kind of trust mechanisms. So in the end, what we want to support is traceability of decisions for later stages in ontology engineering. Please click to slide 19. We, re we were really inspired by the issue-based information systems, but had to adapt it to ontology engineering, so it's not completely uh, transformable uh, on the fly, but some issues had to be changed. Uh, but the key notions are issue, idea, and argument. So what is this? An issue is a, a requirement on the ontology. So basically you ask yourself, what should be represented with the ontology, within the ontology? For example, subregions. And should subregions be transitive? And what would be a subregion? Then you would have an idea, and that is a solution on the conceptual level. So basically you are asking yourself, how should an issue be modeled, maybe in a concrete representation format? And finally, you would provide an argument which is in favor for or against an issue or an idea. So you could provide arguments for ideas and arguments uh, for issues. 
and then you would give examples or counterexamples or evaluations which are in favor of the issue or idea or provide um, yeah, counterexamples or alternatives to challenge the issue or idea. That, that is the basic mechanism how it works and how it works well in practice, I have to say. If you click on slide 20, then you see um, a small fraction of the formalization. So this argumentation model was formalized as an ontology uh, to apply our own methods and techniques for structuring ontology engineering. Um, the ontology, by the way, is also downloadable uh, on our Ontoware server. And it allows an integrated view on arguments for humans as well as for machines. So the idea is to provide not only um, a traceability for humans, but also if you have some kind of agent which want to take part in such an ontology engineering um, discussion in some kind of may way, maybe by providing arguments or by providing suggestions for new concepts, then uh, you want to have all these discussions traced in a machine processable form. So it's ad actually adding metadata to ontology engineering discussions, and what you see here is just a snippet. You see the idea, you see the issue, you see the argument, and you see that they are related to each other. Um, in the slides included on slide 21 is also a picture um, which is much more fine-grained and detailed, but for now I don't have the time to look into it, but I encourage you, if you're interested, just dig a little bit into, maybe read a paper, and then you see how this really is dealt with in practice. Uh, and on slide 22... Uh, one question. Yes, a question. Uh, is, are there tools already built uh, to put onto, uh, on the, the, an ontological framework behind, let's say, the compendium? Uh, Patrick DeRusso and uh, Jeff Park actually made a presentation not too long ago, mm -hmm. and they did uh, develop their uh, ontology federation models based on compendium. Uh, so I was wondering if, if your work with, let's say, the, the open... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I would be very interested to get uh, a link to this presentation. So we looked at compendium and EBIT. Uh, we did not. We were not yet aware of uh, relation so far to ontology engineering. So if there is already someone working on this, I would be definitely interested. Uh, what we did, and I will show you later a picture, is to include this as or, or to to provide technology support within a wiki. Uh, and I have a slide. Uh, I have two slides with screenshots on that. Uh, so we came up with our own tool support. Um, but if there is already existing, what I, I would be very happy to get pointers to this. Yeah, Patrick is fine yeah. right yeah. now. I'm sorry. Okay. Another question? One really quick question. That, that is UML representation that you have on 20, this Pat Heine, 20 and 21? Yes. And yes, that's a kind of UML representation. Is that just used in, in terms of a sort of a schematic for presenting these ideas, or, or is, is there enough expressiveness there that the ontology could take a, take a form in UML? Okay. So, so the reason why... Yeah. Thank you. That's also a good question. So it is actually formalized as RDFS, uh, and some things are modeled as OWL. Um, but for presentation purposes, we found UML a good way, because most people are familiar with UML, and most software engineers can read UML diagrams. So when presenting this to other people outside of our community, we prefer to use this UML diagram. Uh, but if you downloaded it, you will get an RDFS file. Is it equivalent, or do you have to give up anything to go into UML? So if you look at this picture, not all not all things are in this picture. So it's still a kind of abstracted version which fits into UML. Um, I'm, 
I would have to dig into detail to tell you exactly which notions were not directly representable in UML, but there's currently work ongoing to provide um, like these UML notions to really model OWL in, in UML. So this is a hot, hot topic actually also ongoing. Okay, thanks very much. I could provide pointers if you're interested in this topic. Well, well, many people are having a lot of problems with using various editors and things, and, and yet maybe there's tools in UML, but I, I didn't know if the expressiveness or the constraint dynamics were such that right. literally you could you could create an equivalent, you know, this idea of moving back and forth across these representations. If Al RDF would be the World Wide Web choice for semantic web, but you know, in many venues, um, UML is something they realize. I'm just curious. Right, right. This is Alan Rector commenting. <coughs> We're doing quite a bit with UML and UML type representations with the medical community. Um, there is a standard uh, meta model from OMG, which you can find, which has been out for quite a while. Um, for practical things, it's actually quite, it is often better to look at people use UML in particular ways and we haven't really formalized it yet except to do by hand but some sort of notion of a translation profile makes sense because you often get a nicer representation both in the UML and in the OWL if you're using a limited subset of UML to use a special, slightly specialized translation than to use the completely generalized form. But it's certainly most things that you can express in UML can be expressed in OWL, and quite a few that you can't express in UML can be expressed in OWL. Thanks. Hello, Ellen. Hello, okay. Further question? Okay, so going back to slide 22, uh, we actually have an example on how this works. By, so how do you apply this argumentation ontology to a concrete example? So the issue would be to, we need a subregion inclusion into regions. So we need for a subregion inclusion into regions. The idea would be to model the subregion property as our transitive property. And the argument, and here we have a slightly different um, slightly different counterexample. Diego Garcia is not a subregion of Great Britain, but still a part of Great Britain because Diego Garcia is located um, in the British territory of the Indian Ocean. So this is another issue here. And the position would be a disagree position on the argument for our context, it is sufficient. And that would be also the, uh, the final decision which we took for this modeling. And this is the way how you structure and how you capture the ontology engineering discussions during actually the ongoing ontology engineering project. Slide 23. So we already talked about tool support for this. Um, and we came up with, a, uh, with an initial implementation into a wiki tool to discuss these design decisions. Um, we choose a wiki because it's, such a, uh, it's a very nice and open platform and it's, it was easily expandable and we are currently expanding this even further to what we call semantic media wiki and I will come, to the, we'll come back to that a bit later. So the idea is that argu arguments can be provided by all participants on the project. Uh, they are then traceable and the discussion is structured. So in the end, the whole process is reproducible. So what you what you actually use in the wiki is a kind of um, additional annotation information, such as e.g. Uh, such as for example provided by the semantic media wiki. If you click on slide 24, 
you see a concrete screenshot from our SECT internal discussion wiki. Uh, so this was an ongoing discussion in Spanish because one of our case studies is in Spanish. Um, and the concept we were talking about was Acto de Tercero. Sorry for my Spanish, it's not really 100%. Um, so you could navigate and browse through the current taxonomy. Um, then if you click on the Acto de Tercero, that would be slide 25, uh, you would see the, the pro-justification and you would see a contra-justification um, and then in the end some decision would have been made and in the next step then you would use an ontology editor such as Protégé uh, to formalize this and use maybe OWL to express this. So this would be the kind of scenario uh, in the projects which we had in fact in the case studies. We generalized this wiki support to a further extent and I will come back to that just in a minute, which is called Semantic Media Wiki. So, slide 26. Um, I gave a quick overview of what Diligent is about, and I will quickly highlight two technology bubbles which came out of SECT in cooperation also with other projects. One of it is Kaon2, and one of it is Semantic Media Wiki. So please click on 27. So what is Kaon2? Kaon2 is an OWL plus SWIRL plus F-Logic reasoning engine. So that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Why? What, what is it all about? For a long time, um, you had more or less the stage, statement that you do either logic programming or you do description logic. Um, and Kaon2 is somehow the proof that you can do logic programming and description logic. So what, what do I mean by this? Uh, the reasoning within Kaon2 is based on a reduction of Schick knowledge bases, or OWL knowledge bases, to disjunctive data log programs, which is logic programming. So what you do is you transform uh, an OWL knowledge base into a disjunctive data log program and then can use efficient algorithms for this disjunctive data log, uh, which, have, which have been optimized over the past decade uh, to do the reasoning in OWL. And this new kind of reasoning infrastructure allows for managing OWL-DL and roles, so you have a subset of SWOL, which is called uh, the L-safe subset of SWOL, uh, which you can also process with KM2, which is, from a practical point of view, only a mar marginal restriction of SWOL, as well as F-logic at the same time. Um, because you are deducing everything to disjunctive data log programs, you can also do some kind of F-logic reasoning with this reasoning. And this is why I call it, you do logic programming and description logic at the same time. In comparison to Tableau reasoners, uh, you could roughly say that Kaon2 is more efficient for A-box reasoning, whereas the Tableau reasoner are more efficient for T-box reasoning. Uh, but actually, if you look at the evaluation results, of in, into recent e uh, evaluation results, then it depends on the kind of ontology which you really try to reason over, uh, which reasoners are, are better or maybe not, not so efficient as the other ones. And also one has to say that this is a, a hot topic and people are hardly working on improving efficiency uh, for all these reasoners, for Palette, Razor, Fact, um, and also for Kaon2. And this is done currently, uh, this is work performed currently in Manchester, where all the KR people are uh, shared together. So apart from Boris Motek, who is the developer for Kaon2, there's also, of course, Bijan Pasir, who was uh, the author or is the author of Palette, and they are in the group of Ian Horrocks, who is the author and developer of the Fact system. So I would expect significant pro progress in this area in the near future. Um, to summarize, Kaon2 is a major improvement in reasoning theory because it showed how to reduce these knowledge bases to disjunctive data log, but also in practice because 
everything has been implemented and is available for download at the link you will see on the lower end. This work has not been done primarily in ZEC, but uh, primarily in DIP. Uh, and in ZEC, we were mainly reusing this infrastructure and extending it with uh, certain OWL extensions to make it more usable for our project. The second thing I would highlight, like to highlight is on slide 28, uh, which is called Semantic Media Wiki. And this is work which has been started in ZEC and is now being continued in the Nepomuk Social Semantic Desktop Project. Um, we are using the media wiki, which is used for Wikipedia, as a basic infrastructure, and we introduce additional, market, additional markup into this wiki text, uh, which allows you to add so-called semantic annotations. So what is the idea? Uh, the idea is to have typed links for annotations, and we provide an example. So previously, you would say that Karlsruhe is located in Germany, and this this brackets then would indicate that you have a, another page for Germany and if you click on Germany you would, you would go to this page so it's a kind of hyperlink um, but the new notion would be that you say Karlsruhe is located in and then you actually say what is the relationship between Karlsruhe and Germany and it, it's of course located in and that would create an RDF, yeah, an RDF triple equivalent uh, that Karlsruhe is located in Germany what you then can do is, on the one hand, to provide an RDF export of potentially the whole knowledge base or snippets out of it. So if you imagine that this is implemented for Wikipedia and people use it consistently for writing their articles, then you could export the whole Wikipedia as a kind of RDF graph. Or, for example, use Sparkle to query it. Um, and on the other hand, this allows also within the wiki for certain uh, nice things, and I will show on the screenshot what kind of nice things you could, for example, do. Also, you have a kind of annotation. Uh, so previously, you said that Karlsruhe has 280,000 inhabitants, and you, you would say that Karlsruhe has inhabitants equals to 280,000, which then is a kind of attribute. So for Karlsruhe, you've, you have an attribute value of 280,000 inhabitants, and you could even add some kind of metrics how you measure uh, these inhabitants. So for inhabitants, probably not, but if you have a distance, you could say it's kilometer or meter uh, or centimeter, for example. Or if you have a liquid, you could say how many liters, and then query also for, uh, for all these attributes. So the nice thing is that it's a kind of non-intrusive introduction of semantics into something like Wikipedia, into the technology of Wikipedia. You can use it, you may use it. If you use it, you benefit from it. Uh, and that is an approach which also the Wikipedia people themselves like very much, and we are in close contact and try to introduce this really into Wikipedia as technology, but certainly this will take some time. So the software is already available up and running. I even have it running on my laptop and use it for my private minutes, minutes and notes, uh, but you can also use it on a larger scale server level, for example, for communities, and I will provide two examples now for usage scenarios. So if you click on the next slide, slide 29, uh, you see a, a screenshot of my private um, semantic media wiki, which is running on my, my laptop. Um, what you see here is um, actually a created list, which is generated automatically out of annotated minutes and notes. So while I'm doing my minutes and notes, for example, I annotate persons. So I would say that Alexander Löser is working at IBM Omden Research Center, and I would also annotate that IBM Armadan Research Center is an organization which has certain other properties. 
and he works on the project Avatar Semantic Search. This kind of information is given within the notes or maybe within notes about persons, whatever kind of structure you prefer for your wiki. And then this whole page here is created by a simple single template which is called Ask. And I provided uh, the, the line of, or the, the five lines of code, it's actually one line of code, but for readability I split it up, uh, above the personal knowledge management note. So it's actually a kind of template which asks for all persons and in the media wiki you already have these categories which is a kind of classes so I ask for all persons which have a certain affiliation and which work for a certain project and what is generated is this table so it's really a kind of um, structured query over unstructured text and this is the nice feature which the semantic annotations allow you for and you can reuse it for, for many purposes uh, the Wikipedia people are especially interested in using this kind of feature for maintaining their, their knowledge base. So imagine that uh, you have many different articles about persons and usually you have similar properties described for all these persons. So they have a birth date, they have a birthplace, they lived in a certain city for, for some time. But if you look at the articles then uh, the information is rather inconsistently provided. So for some you have the birth date, for others you don't. For some, you have the birth date in the special format. For others, you don't. Uh, so it's kind of tedious process to maintain this manually because within Wikipedia, you have no way of automatizing this task. If you now provide uh, a, what we call a template for persons, saying, look, a person usually should have a birth date. It usually should have a birthplace. It usually should have some kind of further things, affiliations. Then you could query afterwards, please give me all persons where you don't have an affiliation or where you have a specific affiliation. And then you could easily create such a list which shows uh, which pages are not yet filled properly or consistently. Uh, and that is a kind of use case which is highly interesting for the media wiki people, but there are also other use cases. Another use case is on slide 30. Next slide. Uh, so we, we use it, we, we use this technology also for a kind of community portal at the Institute AFB. So there you would find all kinds of information about events, about people, they are interlinked, um, and what you see in the facts about ASB box, these are exactly the formal properties which are annotated within the page. So this is automatically generated out of the text which is above. So you see that ASB would be a part of University of Karlsruhe, that it is located in Karlsruhe, that it has a research topic semantic web. And the nice thing is that you can add this, pro whatever property you need, you can add on the fly. So one of the criticisms often is that semantic web technologies are too restrictive because they enforce users uh, to use certain relations, certain labels for relations. Um, and in our approach for the Semantic Media Wiki, we exactly address this problem by saying, look, if you use another label, fine, use it. Um, and whatever is the majority of users who prefers your label, um, then this, this might be the one who is preferred by most users in future. So this is a kind of lightweight approach which gives all the freedom to the people but still allow them to benefit from the, uh, from the technology. So the best, the best news here is that we really eat our own dog food and apply for our own internal knowledge management um, at the Institute AFB. So finally, slide 31, we come to a conclusion. And actually the conclusion starts on slide 32 with some more bubbles. So there's a lot of work which I could not present. And I will quickly highlight some of the work if you're interested um, and give you just some links. 
So one of the questions we also addressed in fact was how do I map ontologies? And what we provided was a framework for ontology alignment and mapping. Recently it has been integrated in the latest protege and prompt distribution, so you can also reuse these, uh, this software as, as a kind of backend for the prompt um, ontology mapping tool. The open source software is available. The link is provided. Slide 33. Another interesting question is, how do I evaluate ontologies? And we already addressed this briefly in the talk. Uh, we provided an automatic evaluation of ontologies based on the well-known ontoclean approach. The open source software is also available. Slide 34. How much does it cost to develop ontologies? I quickly highlighted it. Uh, so we provided a cost estimation model for ontology engineering, and this is still ongoing work. Uh, and I would kindly ask you to participate. So if you created an ontology, or if you are in the process of creating an ontology, please visit our online questionnaire. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, if you want to speed up the process, just contact us, and we can even do it in a telephone interview. Then it takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and maybe it helps you to understand what the whole process is. So please participate, because we still need many, many more data, pain, data points to have a good cost estimation model. And to sum up the results on slide 35, um, the SEC project significantly advanced state-of-the-art on semantic technologies, and I would like to add in many areas, and I could only show some of them today. We have many tangible results, including the diligent methodology, including tools such as the KM2 reasoning, which is a kind of sophisticated backend, uh, tools like the semantic media wiki, which you could summarize as semantics for the people, but there are many more tools available, so please check out the website or just contact me directly if you have further questions. Uh, on slide 36, what we already achieved is a special issue on semantically enabled knowledge technologies in the Journal of Knowledge Management, which, which covers a nice overview and a more broader, a, a broader overview is given in the book, Semantic Web Technologies, Trends and Research in Ontology-Based Systems, which recently uh, appeared from John Wiley and Sons. And if you actually look in the presentation, the final slide, I gave them some pointers and links to papers available online, which basically reflect the work which I presented today. So if you're interested in further details, you might just check out the links. And that actually concludes my presentation. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your attendance. And I'm looking forward to your questions. Thank you very much, York. That is a great presentation. Uh, looks like you and your associates are doing really interesting things. So uh, we're open to questions. Let, let me uh, start with one on uh, maybe a continuation of the, the, the question I was asking a little earlier on the your, your argu argumentation uh, support. How do you see the semantic uh, me media wiki uh, maybe eventually integrate with, let's say, compendium or, or concept map type uh, tools? You briefly mentioned mm -hmm. that uh, maybe eventually they, they could put, let's say, the entire Wikipedia into a, 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 uh, a graph of sorts. Uh, could you maybe uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Okay. So first of all, when we started this work, um, we implemented the argumentation support at the very first version into the wiki, 
in a very specialized way. So the screenshots you saw are really dedicated towards this argumentation support. But now having available the Semantic Media Wiki extension, it is fairly easy just to adapt it to the specific scenario. So this is a kind of um, customized version of the Semantic Media Wiki, which you, um, you would only, or actually what we are currently working on providing templates for doing exactly this argumentation. So you could quickly fill in these uh, argumentation support templates and then have everything annotated within your wiki. I, I would expect that you can broaden this to the full compendium approach because we only reuse parts of the compendium and parts of the EDIS approach, which we found most useful for ontology engineering. So if there are further things in the compendium or in EDIS, I would expect that it's fairly easy to also to provide templates for that in such a semantic media wiki. But I haven't digged into it too much, to be honest. Thank you. Maybe a quick question. Did you just add two sort of uh, syn syntactical uh, uh, elements to as an extension to the, the present uh, wiki syntax? Just the so we do we do we we introduce um, a certain predefined a certain predefined relations and properties, but this is only a limited amount of uh, primitives which we introduce. And the key strength is that users are free to introduce their own properties and labels, uh, whatever they are they are looking for, whatever they need. But how how about in in this sort of in the editor syntax? Are those two okay? So right. So actually, the the implementation is about parsing this additional syntax and building internally a kind of knowledge model, a kind of lightweight knowledge model, which then is able to represent these type links and to express them, for example, as RDF triples. So that, that is exactly what the semantic extension for MediaWiki is about. This is the enhanced syntax briefly shown at the very first slide. There are some further possibilities which I did not show, but this is the key feature is this type links and the annotation. It sounds very simple, but if you start using it, it's very powerful. Uh, absolutely. Um, and that was one of the major design criteria, to make it as simple as possible for people just to use it and to make it as a direct extension of the MediaWiki syntax and also not to overload it because wikis are lightweight, wikis are quick. You have to learn only few of these layout and structuring uh, syntax. So whatever we introduce, it must be very lightweight and still be powerful. And that was the idea behind this whole semantic MediaWiki approach. I've got a question. I'm Bob Smith, uh, formerly a professor in a school of business, and I'm very intrigued with the relationship that you've built with the industrial business community. Are you finding your students in extremely high demand after graduation and exposure to your program in those companies and others in general? So if I understand correctly, the question was whether the students which we educate um, in semantic web technologies, uh, whether, for, whether there is a strong demand from industry for these educated students. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, so we are doing, as I said before, the education for industrial engineers. And one of the key strengths of this education is diversity. So I, by myself, I'm an industrial engineer, so I enjoyed education in many different areas, including, of course, operations research, which is very strong for industrial engineers, 
but also business administration, micro and macroeconomics, statistics, and my major then was computer science, but other people might choose other areas as their majors. And what we see is that a lot of people in IT industry are thinking about new concepts such as semantic web technologies, and then all, everything that you have as a background is valuable, and we are one of the major locations in Germany to provide this education. So already many of my students, which I supervise as master students, are now working, for example, for the spin-off enterprise or for Usoko or for Daimler Chrysler in this particular area. So I can say, yes, my students usually end up in this kind of area, maybe also be because I push them <laughs> to work in this area. That's very good to hear. So there's a lot of growth and demand and uh, innovations within uh, the European community. So the, the European Commission is spending much effort, and effort is money here <laughs> in, in this area, and they try to, let's call it, upskill their workforce. Of course, this is a long-term thing. First of all, you do research, but attached to research is education, and, for example, the Knowledge Web Network of Excellence um, one of the areas, we have three areas, one is research, one is industry, outreach to industry, but one also is education. And the idea is to come up with a shared curriculum for education, and this already is happening, and to exchange students between different locations to have a shared master program, and this is already also happening. So we really try to connect the different universities in Europe to come up with a shared master program for semantic web and related technologies. Of course, this is a long-term thing because students who are starting this project will finish in one to two years, and they will be really semantic web engineers, you could call them. Um, so then you will have special people who enjoyed an education for this purpose. So far, you usually have universities like us or Amsterdam or Manchester where this is part of a general computer science or maybe industrial engineer education. So it's a part of a, an education. But, as I said before, we are currently really establishing specialized courses who target uh, the demand for these people. Excellent. Thank you very much. Peter Yim again. Uh, I have a question maybe both for, for, for York and Alan. Uh, first of all, I, I saw most of your projects are funded at the EU level rather than, let's say, a, a, a country level. Is that generally how, let's say, semantic technologies are being uh, funded and, and supported in, in Europe or, uh, or would like Germany and, or the UK have additional funding uh, pouring in, into, into the area? Mm -hmm. Maybe I comment first. Um, so it turns out that the European Commission has more money to spend on research than uh, most countries, and UK might be might be an exception. Uh, but in Germany, the money for research in computer science is uh, somewhat limited. Let's call it like this. Um, but we also have a fairly big German project which is running. It's called SmartWeb, and it is of the, it has the same uh, budget as the European project. But of course, this is one big project for the whole country, and not many of them. Uh, but on the European level, they really funded many of these projects. So it's our primary funding source uh, for, for, for these issues. And maybe the national funding, well, first of all, there is not so much money, at least not in Germany, for these topics. And the second thing is that they say, well, there's so much funding on the European level, 
so on the national level, we also support it, but it's not our our, our core focus. But maybe in UK, uh, as I said before, this is a, a bit of a different situation. Yes, in the UK, we're coming actually toward the end of what's been called the e-science program, <coughs> which is what happened when which combines work on grids, grid technology with work really on semantic grids and semantic webs. And since most of the grid technology has moved to service-oriented architectures from its original sources, a large amount of that work has focused around semantics and semantically enabled applications. They perhaps the best-known project well, the two big projects that have been funded in that are the AKT project at Southampton with Nigel Shadbold and the application, in an applications area, the MyGrid project at Manchester, which is about managing workflows and amalgamating and using bioinformatics information from the many different, there's some 800 or more database databases in quotation marks. Many of them are text files. Many of them are idiosyncratic, but data resources in molecular biology around the web, which people need help in accessing and using. Our own project, those are all funded from the UK Research Council, though that program, which has put about £150 million into it over about seven years. The, five years actually. The other work, which is there are other projects which are funded through the regular programs. So we have a the project which funds our part of the Protege Owl collaboration is funded through the uh, Infrastructure Committee for the Support of Research. And there are a number of other specific projects which are funded through various local areas. But we also participate in WonderWeb and OntoWeb and a number of European projects. So the UK has been relatively lucky, particularly with applica applications-oriented and particularly with bio-application-oriented uh, uses of semantic, semantic technologies, some of them semantic web per se, some of them using semantic web technologies in slightly different ways. Thank you very much, Alan. Oh, this, uh, uh, that's uh, Professor Ellen Rector from University of Manchester, who will be our invited speaker on September 14th. So maybe another, a question for, for both of you. Uh, can, can you sort of give a, a rough estimate as to what kind of funding is going into semantic technologies uh, R&D in the EU now? I mean, what level, I mean, order of magnitude type? York, since you've been so active uh, putting <laughs> a lot of activities in Europe, uh, you care to make an estimate? Okay. Uh, so on the European level, you saw there are many, many of these projects, and each, each of the projects was about 10 to 15 million euro funding over three to four years, um, and there exists a number of them. So this is the order of magnitude which we are talking about on the European level. Great. Yeah. Anything to add, Alan? Yes, I think there's, there's been a large amount of funding, but we're actually right between framework programs at the present time. 
So we're at the end of the Framework 6 program. The Framework 7th program hasn't really started. So from your, um, and likewise, we're between stages with UK funding. So it's actually very hard to answer that question at the moment. Okay, we'll up to your... Uh, this is Steve Ray, though. Just watching from the outside, I'm led to believe that, I guess, Framework 7 is intending to put something on the order of 11 or 12 billion euros into ICT, Information and Communications Technology, which obviously is far greater than just semantics. But it does sort of give you this scale of things for the information side of funding. Anyone care to comment on that one? Yeah, so that's, that's the number which is on the table, uh, I agree, uh, which shows the the funding for the general level uh, in the area of ICT. Um, and there are some indications that the budget for the, the, the topic semantic web or semantic technologies, maybe under a slightly different label, will continue in a similar, if not slightly larger, uh, order of magnitude. But you don't really know because there are some numbers around and unless the program is officially announced you, you don't really know how much funding will go into this area there's a lot of politics between proposal and actual funding yeah we are, this is Nenad here at uh, NEST I have a question about the uh, AEON the uh, evaluation methodology that you have been developing and the question okay. is if you, would, if you would possibly be able to comment um, more than anything, what I'm interested in, interested in is how well were you able to apply that to ontologies that you have been developing perhaps in, in industrial settings. Mm -hmm. Anything to that effect that you can comment uh, would be of interest. Okay. Um, so the, uh, are you familiar with OntoClean a little bit? Uh, a little bit, and uh, yeah, so you don't have to go okay. into details of that, but... Uh, yeah, that, that would be too much. Right. Just quickly, the key notion of OntoClean is to tag concepts with certain meta properties and then to apply certain constraints to find out whether a taxonomy is well-formed according to these constraints. So that's the, the, the essence of OntoClean, let's call it like this. Um, what we provide is an automatic facility to provide these annotations, so to provide whether a concept is rigid, for example, or non-rigid. Um, what you need is, a, is our software. Uh, what you need is ontologies currently in the OWL format. If you have a different format, then you would need to adapt the parsers um, and, the, and the processing in, in the background. And what you need is a Google license, because currently our software relies on posing many different queries to Google. Uh, and therefore you need to use the Google API. But if you have your own search engine, uh, you could fairly easily adapt it to using another search engine for this purpose. And uh, can, can you comment uh, on, the, on the question whether you have, you have been able to apply this or uh, what are your experiences in using that for ontology engineering? In okay. perhaps industrial setting, have you had a chance to apply this tool? What are your lessons learned? Mm -hmm. So we applied it in several experiments, also to validate the approach and to show how good precision and recall of the approach is in comparison to manual application of OntoClean. Uh, and the results are basically available in a, in a paper. So maybe just to summarize, 
Um, for for some taggings, we reached a very good pre pre uh, precision and recall. So for tagging, whether a concept is rigid or not, we were in the order of magnitude of 80 to 90 percent precision in comparison to manual approaches, uh, which is quite nice. For some other of the other properties, we were not so successful. Um, in fact, we applied it to ontologies, to the ontologies which we created, and we could significantly improve the taxonomy. So first of all, it's not about full-blown ontologies, but it's about the taxonomical structure. But for this, we could apply it successfully and improve the structure according to the ontoclean principles. Um, I'm a bit reluctant to make um, a, an overall positive statement because we applied it in restricted settings. So what we did not do so far applied on, let's say, hundreds of ontologies to validate the approach. But we would be very interested to apply it to further ontologies. I'm, I'm curious, is, is this, repeating him again, is this uh, conducted in conjunction with, let's say, the Nicola's group, or is it independent of, of the, the people in Trento? Mm -hmm. So for coming up, for example, with the patterns which we use in this approach, this is kind of technical, but just to give you an idea, uh, we closely collaborated especially with Aldo Grangeni, who is also one of the people very familiar with Ontoclean, and also with Nicola. Um, and with Chris Welty. So all the three persons who are really experts in OntoClean were involved in coming up with uh, patterns and also for evaluation. Uh, because to compare with expert annotations, you need experts. And to be honest, there aren't many experts available worldwide. So we try to just try to get the best experts avail available for our evaluations. So yes, they are included. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe a final comment on this, Eon. Uh, you might want to have a look at the slides of the protege invited talk, which I recently gave, because there you will find an easy overview of the Eon approach. Okay, thank you. Yeah, back, back to this question from Pat Heinick just now about uh, UML. Actually, a uh, Conrad Bach, who works for Steve Ray also, uh, has been working on like uh, UML2 uh, object constraint language and the like, and I guess uh, Deborah Medina's uh, uh, supporting like uh, Lisa Kendall's work. I mean, has a, uh, uh, are putting quite a bit of work into how how to bridge between UML and ontologies. Uh, so, uh, York, while you're at uh, at Stanford, uh, have, have you been maybe working with Deborah McInnes uh, along those lines? Uh, so, in Karlsruhe, we have uh, a PhD student who is at Sarge Brockman, who is working on the connectionship between MDA and OWL. Um, here in Stanford, unfortunately, I did not have the time to really work on this topic. Uh, that would have been a bit too much. <laughs> and this is Evan, um, Evan Wallace, and I've been working uh, on the ontology definition meta model with Elisa Kendall, and uh, and we've been working with Sarja. So there is a link. Okay, very good. Small world. So actually, in October we have a workshop on meta modeling and ontologies in Karlsruhe, and if you're interested and 
happen to be in Europe, please pass, pass over and join the workshop. It's on 12th and 13th of October at the University of Karlsruhe. The workshop is called WOMM, WOM. Uh, well, one, one other thing, while working on the, the sort of calendar of, of interested, uh, interesting events uh, for the ontology and semantic technology community, I, I noticed there's a, uh, coming up fairly soon, a first Asian uh, uh, semantic web conference in Beijing uh, that actually has a site, I think, at Innsbruck or something. Uh, are you involved with that? Um, yes, I was involved as um, as one of the organization committee members, and it turns out that this is a highly successful event. So it's the first Asian Semantic Web Conference, and we received well over 200 submissions. Uh, some of them were <laughs> not really Semantic Web related, but a large fraction of the work was really um, on the core issues and topics, so we are really looking forward to having a, a good program at the conference. So, so it looks like the uh, the Europeans and, and the Chinese or the Asians are, are working quite closely together along these lines. I would not yet call it a close cooperation, uh, but certainly the Asian um, yeah, so the, the Asian interest in semantic web increases significantly. Um, so far, it is a bit difficult to judge how strong collaborations are in Asia. Asia is a, is a big continent, and actually if you look into it, then you have Japan, China, India, and all of them are quite separate from each other. But there are many groups now working on this topic, and especially IBM uh, recently, um, maybe not recently, I think it's some, some while ago, but they moved their uh, AlphaWorks team for creation of some kind of semantic web infrastructure to China. So they are really outsourcing this from, I think previously it was in Europe to China, um, and they have some people, some decent numbers of people working in this area, which also shows the interest of larger industry now in this topic. Um, there have been people like Richiro Mitsugushi, who's been working in this area for a long time, who was, for example, the, uh, the chair, the local chair of the ISWIC in 2005 in Japan. So there, there's a lot of well-known groups who are there for quite some time, and I think the level of interest is currently increasing significantly. Also showing, showed by the fact that the Semantic Web Conference next year will be hosted in Korea. Hey, uh, any further questions? If not, I will uh, thank uh, Professor Yorkshire for spending time with us and sharing with us his experience and insights. And uh, thank you very much, York. And thanks again, uh, Max and Alex. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, as usual, uh, this session is being recorded and uh, it will be posted uh, on the same session page before the end of the day be available on podcast. Thank you. Thank you all for joining. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Thank you.